It's great to see you here today. Um, Happy Easter. A lot of people maybe don't really know the full story of Easter. I'm assuming that you're here and you do. And we think about it. The disciples, they didn't believe that Jesus would be killed. They were looking for a political kingdom. And they, they thought he was going to be the leader. They weren't thinking in a spiritual way. And they had a hard time with this idea of him being crucified. So what happened was when Jesus got arrested, Peter, for example, pulled out a sword and started fighting them. It was something that this is never going to happen. You can't arrest Jesus. He's innocent. Once he got taken away, they knew the miracles he had done. They had seen the power behind him. So I think they had confidence that he would work it out, that he'd be back. But when they saw him crucified, it was not a time of celebrating. They thought that they lost. They were defeated. They were mourning. They had dedicated their whole life. Well, not their whole life. It was actually the last three years of their life. But in that three-year period, they gave up their jobs. They gave up everything like that to go for God through Jesus. They believed that he was the way. Israel had been waiting for a Messiah, an anointed one, that would lead them into this new kingdom. And they said, this is him. And then when he comes and they see him killed, it made them feel like they were wrong. But what about the miracles he did? What about all the love he showed? How could this be wrong? But he's dead. We lost. Somehow, some way, it wasn't him. So they really had lost faith in what had happened. They just didn't know that Easter was coming. They didn't get the purpose of it. They weren't thinking about a spiritual kingdom. Jesus taught them things like that, as we're going to see. But they had a hard time with that concept. This is part one of a series that we're starting called Unshakable. I want to encourage us to be unshakable when the hard times come. The title of this sermon is, When Your World is Shaken Up. Their world was shaken up. Their feet were knocked out from under them. It's, it's the most horrible thing that they could imagine happening. I want to talk about this, about the idea that something horrible is happening, and could God be behind it? When you think of your problems, the number one problem that we have is not other people, believe it or not. It's ourselves. We cause more damage to ourselves. You know, we're, I'm, my number one source of problems is me. Bad decisions I make that affect my life in a negative way. Number two, I'd say, is other people. You know, other people do make decisions that affect you, that harm your life, you know, that can really mess you up. Number three, if you believe the Bible, some, some people don't believe in the devil. But if you believe the Bible, the Bible talks about the devil is out to destroy you. So you can say, okay, I believe that there's a spiritual being out there that's negative, and he wants to ruin my life. You know, the devil wants to ruin me. You might believe that. 
But when you have a source of problem in your life, you usually don't think the source is God. You usually think it's because he's positive. How would he be the source of this negative in my life? But you're going to see that many times when you're going through a, a problem, a difficulty, it's God. You say, well, wait a minute. God's a good guy. Then you look back at the Easter story. To the disciples, what just happened on the cross was the most horrible thing that could ever happen. Because they didn't understand that Easter was coming. They didn't understand the whole message. The whole message was, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So God comes to earth as a man, Jesus Christ. He takes all the sins that we do. He places them on himself and he dies and he pays off the penalty. I'm going to die for your sins. Therefore, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You can go to God now. You can have a relationship with him. I pay the price. You die and you stand before God. And on judgment day, God says, didn't you do such and such? And Jesus said, paid for. Well, how about, well, didn't she do this? Paid for. He paid off the price. That's a whole message of the cross And then with the resurrection showing that it's true. If Jesus just stayed dead, he would just be a false prophet. That's all. He'd just be a false prophet. The whole thing is he comes back to life showing that your sins have been conquered. And that now we have hope for eternal life. Okay, I get it now. I can have eternal life through Christ. He proved it. Before that time, people could... Hope that there's eternal life. Now they knew it. You know how much they knew it? These same disciples who at the crucifixion lost faith and thought they had given their life to the wrong thing were willing to, lose, to walk away from job security and go throughout the world to tell people the good news. They didn't set up a TV show and preach on TV and say, bring me all your money, give me your money, and God's going to bless you. They didn't do that. They, lo- they lost money in order to get the message out. You know why? It changed their life. We saw a dead guy come back to life. It affects me so much, I'm going to tell everybody. That's what they did. All of them were martyred for their faith, except for John. And they were in situations where all they would have to do is this. Deny it. Say, it's not true. We just, maybe the disciples took the body and, you know, hid it somewhere. It's not true. We didn't do it. We burned it or something. And they would live. But every single one of them said, no, we can't deny it. We saw it with our own eyes. Jesus didn't just rise from the dead and they saw him for a few hours. He stuck around for 40 days. It was 40 days with these guys. Not three hours. They knew without a doubt what had happened. And as you study history, every one of them is murdered for their faith, yet every one of them had the opportunity to say it's not true. Now, I know people that would die for something they believe in. I don't know someone that would die knowing it's a lie. 
And what would be the benefit? Why would you, what would you benefit from that? I know it's a lie, and I know I lost a lot of money when I gave up my job to start walking to these areas where they don't even, I don't know the language. I've got to figure this out, and I know it's been a bummer life. Let's lie now, and let's get, you know, tortured to death. Sounds good, right? No. Not even a lunatic, I think, would be that crazy. But that's what happened. That's what happened. They, they died for their faith because they really saw it. They really saw it. They knew it was true, so they were willing to be tortured if that's what it took, but they couldn't deny it. I guess if you have an encounter like that with God, you'd be willing to die for it. Sometimes we're afraid to die for it because it wasn't our encounter. We believe it, but we're afraid to die for it. They weren't afraid to die for it. I'm sure they were fearing the pain. They weren't afraid to die for it because it was, they were the eyewitnesses themselves. They knew without a doubt. But when I see that what they're willing to do, it sure does build up my faith. Because why would they do it? It doesn't make sense for them to die for something like that unless they knew that it was true. We're going to be on this theme for the next few weeks. I'm going to give a little advertisement about what's coming up. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying the life of Daniel. Daniel's a person that when he was 15 years old, his country was taken over by a foreign country, and he was made a prisoner of war. And he was uh, taken away from his parents, never to see them again, taken out of his country, never to see his country again. Just the most horrible thing. But over the, a 70-year period, from 15 years old to 85, he rises all the way to the top of this foreign country that he's not from and becomes the second greatest leader in that country, just behind the emperor. So the theme is unshakable. See, he was unshakable. Even with everything that happened to him, he never lost his faith in God. He trusted that God's going to work it out. God's going to work it out. And when you study his life together, we're going to see this. We think we go through hard times. None of us have gone through what he's going through, what he went through. And if he can be unshakable and trust God in the midst of a hard time, so can we. So can we. This series or this message today is on that same theme because our world gets shaken up and we're going to see that God was behind it. In Daniel's story, God was behind their country being taken over. You think like, wow, why could God be behind something that looks so bad, like the crucifixion? Why could God be behind something that looks so bad, but they didn't know that Easter was coming? It's a similar story. I'm going to look at that a bit, and hopefully it will encourage you to keep coming. In Isaiah 5.20, it says, this was written during this time that they were about to be taken over. You're doomed if you call evil good and call good evil. Destruction is certain when you call darkness light and light darkness. When right is considered wrong and what's wrong is considered right. Say, man, we're doomed once that happens. Does that sound like the United States? <laughs> kind of scary. Sounds a little bit too much like us. And sure enough, he writes this, and then Nebuchadnezzar, the, lead, the emperor of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, comes in and destroys them. 
In Psalms 82, 1 through 5, it says, God presides over heaven's court, and he pronounces judgment on the judges. They're talking about the judges in Israel. How long will your judges hand down unjust decisions and show partiality? What was, what was one of the key problems is their government had become corrupt. Okay? So this was causing a major problem there, and God was against that. How long are you going to be prejudiced? Give fair judgments to the poor and to the orphans. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the defenseless. Rescue the poor and the helpless and deliver them from heartless evil people because the leaders are foolish and they lack understanding. People are living in dark times and all the foundations of society are shaken to the core. Also what had happened is they started following idols. So the Jewish people who were supposed to be faithful to God started worshiping these idols and other things. Their government had become corrupt. And they were no longer the people of the Bible. They kind of left that. So what God did is, in order to bring them back, he allowed an enemy to come in and conquer them for 70 years. And you know what they did during that 70 years? They turned back to God. Have you noticed how much more you pray when you're in a problem? Like if life is good, you don't even think about God. But man, if you're going through a problem, all of a sudden you're praying. And they turn, it took that 70 years to clean them up, to change their hearts. Do you know that before that time, Israel would be faithful to God, but sometimes they'd stray away, be faithful to God, stray away. When he sent them out for 70 years in bondage as slaves to another country, this isn't talking about Egypt. This is way after that. When he sent them out in bondage for that 70 years, do you know that when the Jews came back home, after that point on, they never, ever did idol worship again. Never. From that point all the way to today, they've never gone back to idol worship. It, it did the job. God was behind it. God was saying, I'd rather have you suffer for 70 years and get your country and people back in line for the whole rest of the future of your country than to let you continue in, in just ways because they were going to destroy themselves. There would not be Jewish people today if it wasn't for that 70 years because they were blending in with the other cultures. They were doing everything that everybody else was doing and they would have lost their faith. They, were already they had already lost their faith. It took something really rash and hard to get them back to the Bible and say, we need God back. We need God back. Can you believe that sometimes you could go through something really bad and God could be behind it if that's what it takes to get you back on the right path? In fact, most people in this room that I know that follow God got there through a hard time. Most people that I know that follow God didn't get there for a good, through, a easy life, through the easy life. Something happened in your life that made you turn to God. And that's how you got there. So God's willing to allow bad stuff to happen if that's what it's going to take to save you ultimately and to give you a healthy, good life, a healthy marriage, make you a healthy, healthy parent. You don't get there sometimes through the easy way. Sometimes we see in our country that it feels like, man, we're losing our freedom of speech or our freedom of religion 
or the government's being shaken or marriage is being shaken or morals and ethics are being shaken. You know what? The story about Daniel isn't really a story of gloom and doom. It's a story that no matter what you go through, if you stay faithful to God, you can still survive and thrive. Daniel remained faithful to God, and he survived and he thrived. In Daniel 1, 1 through 4, it says, In the third year of Judah's king, Jehoiakim, in his reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon besieged Jerusalem with his army. So they get taken over. And it says, God gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory. God did it. But he's worse than they are. If you study him, you'll find out that he was a really evil character. So God would allow a people that's worse than us to mess up our lives in order to get us back with God? That's what God did. He used it. God knew what would work. When Nebuchadnezzar returned to Babylon, he took with him the best sacred objects from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and he put them on display in his pagan temple of Babylon. What this means is he took those things of God, put them in his temple, and what it means is our God conquered their God. The Babylonian God's the greatest. So that was an insult to the Jewish people. He also ordered that the best young men of Judah be taken as captives to be brought to his palace. Select only the best-looking, strongest, smartest young men and bring them to my palace. Notice the values there. Beauty, brawn, and brains. Is that right? Same values that I see in the United States. You know, it's about academics, athletics, and appearance. Same thing. We're starting to look way more like the Babylonians than the people of God. Then he puts them in this indoctrination program. Make sure that they're well-versed in every branch of learning, that they're gifted with knowledge and good sense, and have the poise needed to serve in my royal palace. Teach these young men the language and the literature of the Babylonian culture. He's indoctrinating them into not being Jewish anymore. He's turning them into Babylonians. Do you know he gave each of them a different name? He took away all their names and replaced them with Babylonian names. He's systematically turning these teens. He's stripping their culture from them. He wants to take away their beliefs. Nazi Germany... Uh, they took their youth and separated them from their parents to teach them the Nazi way. And under that situation, they were able to bring the youth and brainwash them into the direction they wanted to go. That's what he's doing. He's brainwashing these kids. See, Daniel never saw his parents ever again. He, he was taken away. He never went back to Israel. So they're brainwashing them, separating them from everything that they know, teaching them everything they can to be what they want them to be. That's pretty horrible. And yet, with Daniel, he remains faithful to God, and here's what he does. He makes such an impact over that 70 years that he becomes a leader and he gets favor with Nebuchadnezzar. And you know that he ends up leading Nebuchadnezzar to faith in the God of the Bible. Daniel ends up doing that. He's a 15-year-old boy when he goes into slavery. He remains faithful to God, 
He never turns away from his belief no matter what they teach him. When he's in the right situation, he has influence with Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar ends up becoming a follower of the God of the Bible. Amazing. When he gets older, later on, Cyrus the Great, a Persian, conquers Babylonia. That's, Persia would be like uh, Iran. You know, Babylonia is where Iraq is. So the Persians come and conquer. You know what happens? Is they recognize that he's a great leader. They get him involved in their government because of his wisdom and the good things that he's learned. He rises to the top. He becomes a close friend with Cyrus the Great, the Persian. As you know, through his friendship and influence, he leads Cyrus the Great to, believe, to put his faith in the God of the Bible. Unbelievable. You look this up in history. You mean Nebuchadnezzar? Cyrus the Great? Yeah, they became followers of the, of the God of the Jewish Bible. Why? Because of Daniel. He was the man that influenced both of those great leaders. That's one of the reasons the Jews were let free and they go back home after that 70 years is over. But Daniel was amazing. Now, if Daniel can survive and thrive in a hostile environment, you and I can survive and thrive here because there's nothing that we're going through as bad as what he was going through. So I invite you over the next few weeks to come. We're going to study Daniel's life, and I believe it's going to impact you. As we look at the resurrection of Christ and the disciples, and they're thinking, what's going on? This is horrible. They've, cured, they've killed Jesus. What do you do when your life is turned upside down? How do you handle that? Number one in your notes, don't be surprised by adversity. Don't let it surprise you when bad things happen. Because bad things are going to happen. In 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Dear friends, don't be shocked or surprised when you suffer through painful tests and trials as if something strange is happening to you. You're in a car accident and you're hurt. That's not surprising. You go to a doctor and you say, oh, I found out I got cancer. That's not surprising. You know, you find out a relative of yours passed away. It's not surprising. It's painful. These things are painful. But we don't live in heaven. You know, these things, when, when hard times come, of all people, we as believers should be the ones that expect it. Because we know that there's a heaven and we know that this is earth. We know that things aren't perfect here. That's why we pray to God. That's why we seek Him. Because we know this world is messed up. Relationships break up. The weather does crazy things. The economy does crash. That's living on this earth. As believers, we should be the least surprised by reality. Because we're the ones that know that we need God. Why? Because we look at reality and we say reality is really bad. God, I need help. Because reality is bad. Bad things happen here. Look at what Jesus said himself in John. In this world, you will experience difficulties. He's saying it's going to happen. But take heart. I have conquered the world. I've told you this so that in trusting me, you will be unshakable and deeply at peace. So we're using that word unshakable. 
for this series. Trust in me. What he doesn't say is, trust in me and, and bad things won't happen. Put your faith in God and you'll have no more difficulties. Put your faith in God, you'll have no more problems. No. Put your faith in God and you'll be stable when a difficulty comes. Put your faith in God, you'll be stable when a problem comes. Gives you stability. Why? You know God's in control. You know that God sometimes is behind the problem. You don't know. Maybe God's behind the problem that you're in. So you don't, you're not surprised. Jesus tried to warn the disciples. He tried to lead them in the right direction. They just didn't want to hear it. Don't think that the disciples were people that were just following everything that Jesus was saying. They rebelled against him. They rebelled against him. You know why? They're just like you. They're just like me. They weren't these brainwashed guys just following everything he said. Look at this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain. To his, from that time on, which means it happened more than once. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. He told them. And on the third day, be raised to, death, to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Rebuking, the word rebuke implies what you said is of sin. Not correction, but rebuking. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall never happen. Peter had no desire to listen to what Jesus was saying there. He was saying, never. I'm not going to listen to this. You're the king. You're going to lead us. We've got this thing won. I've seen what you can do. That's never going to happen. The disciples were just like Peter. If you read on, it says how all the disciples were saying the same thing. They, they, that's not going to happen. Because they weren't that concerned about God's will. They were more concerned about their desire. Because they were thinking like this. We're going to become a political kingdom. And now we're the leaders of the world. Yes. Yes. That's me. I'm going to be at his right side. I know he's going to put me way up there on top. That's what they were thinking. It had nothing to do with the spiritual kingdom of love. And Jesus would have to go around and rebuke them for their ways of thinking. But even to the cross, and they see him killed, they still don't get it. And they still walk away thinking we lost it. Because that's how much they desired their will over God's will. Jesus even said, you know, pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done. But all they cared about was their own will, what they desired. <clears throat> they weren't thinking about God. Number two in your notes, look for ways God can use it for good. The disciples didn't have the ability at that point to see that this was going to be used for the good. They saw it after he rose from the dead. It wasn't until then that you see the disciples really started following God. The three years that they spent with Jesus, they were still rebellious. They would be on the right track, then they'd be off, right track and off. It wasn't until after the resurrection that they really got on the right path and really started serving God the way that, that he's meant to. And when Jesus 
rises back to life, it changes the whole world. It changes history. That's when these people start going and sharing the world, sharing the good news with everybody. Do you know how much it's changed history? Listen to this. Every country, almost 100%, some newer countries have been taken over and uh, it might change that. But every country um, in the world, the very first university, including all the Islamic countries, was made by Christians. Do you know that? India, China. The very first university in almost every country of the world was started by Christians. Do you know that? Oh, why would they do that? Because Jesus taught us and we believe in teaching people. But it even gets crazier. Do you know the first hospital in every country, including the Islamic countries, including you know, the countries that were communist and all this type of stuff, the very first hospital in every country, including India, was started by Christians. Is that crazy? The very first orphanage in every country, like I said, some countries have been newly established, so it doesn't hit 100% anymore, but, but um, every country, uh, the very first orphanage was started by Christians. Think about it. Every compassion ministry that you can think of, it's hard to think of it of any that haven't been started by Christians. Or you'll find it like this. The Christians started it, and then the government said, oh, yeah, that's good, and then they started doing it afterwards. But the one that initiated it were the Christians. Why would they do that? Because Jesus went out teaching and healing, teaching and healing, teaching and healing. And you know what? Christians have been doing that ever since. Ever since. You check it out. AA. Alcoholics Anonymous, started by a group of Christians. You, you just start thinking, as you start thinking about everything, it's hard to find compassion throughout the world that wasn't started by Christians. Now, it might be taken over by the government later on. A lot of the universities that were started by Christians are now government universities. But, isn't that amazing? It tells you it changed the world. Where would the world be today if it wasn't for Jesus rising from the dead? People wouldn't have been motivated to do that, and it would be just as bad as it was back in those days. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God says, the plans I have for you are plans for good and not to harm you. They're plans to give you hope and a future. I believe you might be going through something bad. And I want you to know, you don't need to be angry with God. He has plans for you. He wants to use it for the good. Well, how can God use a difficulty for my good? Well, first, God shakes up things to inspect me. Sometimes I need an inspection. There's things about my life that need to change, and I'm not willing. I might be smug in who I am. Maybe I lead my company. People do whatever I say. And God's been saying, Jimmy, your anger problem has got to change. I say, well, I don't have an anger problem. It's that's what's got me where I am. I even give it credit. And then I meet the woman of my dreams, and she falls in love with me, and I fall in love with her. I think, oh, she's great. And then she starts to see my anger issues, and, it, and I'm falling deeper deeper in love with her, and she's starting to get wiser and wiser, saying, ooh, this is a mistake. I should have never fallen in love with this guy. And then she dumps me, and it knocks my feet out from under me, and I didn't see it coming. 
And all of a sudden, this great CEO of a company is on his knees crying and bawling his eyes out because a woman that he loves so much understands, I can't have anything to do with you. And for the first time, he's willing to change. I'm telling you, God will allow you to be knocked over hard if that's what it takes to get you on the right path. You know why? Because he cares too much about you to let you be the way you are. It's funny. God accepts you just the way you are, but yet he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And I love my kids. I love my sons. I've got a son and daughter downstairs. I love them just the way they are, but I love them too much to let them stay that way. I don't want my 14-year-old acting like a 14-year-old when he's 30. I love him too much. I don't want my three-year-old daughter acting like a three-year-old when she's seven. I love her too much. I don't want my one-year-old to act like a one-year-old anymore. <laughs> but I have to be patient. He started walking this week. So I'm a proud daddy of a walking child. But you sometimes have to go through tough times to, to inspect yourself so you can see. It's in the pain that you're willing to say, maybe I do have an anger problem. You know, and then if you go through two broken relationships, then you say, not maybe, I do have an anger problem. God will allow that to happen if that's what it takes to get you on the right path. God, you allow this bad thing to happen to me? Yes, because I love you. Jeremiah 17.10, Lord searches our hearts and examines our deepest motives so he can give to each person his right reward according to how he has lived. He examines and searches your heart, your motives. God cares less about what you do, and he cares more about why you're doing it. He wants to change your heart. The Israelites, it's a two-week walk from Egypt to the Promised Land, but they're stuck in the desert for 40 years. Why? God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you, because they weren't humble, and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commands. He tested them seven times, and all seven times, they didn't keep his commands. Every time. So he said, okay, you're not ready to move to the next step yet. Maybe you say, man, that's me. You know, like that relationship thing. I went through one failed relationship and another. How many failed relationships do I need to go through before I realize that maybe it's me that has the problem and maybe it's not all of them? Because there's one common denominator in each of those relationships and it's me. You know, but sometimes people are like the Israelites. They go through seven failed relationships before they get it that maybe I've got to change. Maybe I need to quit blaming them and say, God, what's wrong with my character? Why am I chasing people away? God would allow you to suffer so that you'll change. Number two, God shakes, up, th- shakes things up to correct me. Like we saw with the Israelites, the 70 years that they were in bondage, that was to get them on the right track. Those 70 years of being conquered by another country, that's what it took to get them where they needed to go. In Hebrews 12, 8 through 11 God corrects all his children, and if he doesn't correct you, then you don't really belong to him. Wow. God corrects us for his 
for our own good because he wants us to be holy as he is. It's never fun to be corrected. In fact, at the time, it is always painful. But if we learn to obey by being corrected, we will do right and live at peace. I correct my kids because I want them to go in the right direction. My parents corrected me because they wanted me to live a healthy life. I'm thankful for correction in my life. I'm thankful when I was a kid and I took a math test that a teacher didn't take the math test. I said, you know what? I love you so much. I'm just going to give you 100% A. There you go. Well, do you want to correct it? No, I love you so much. It's an A. No. At the time, I probably would have liked that. But I'd be messed up today. I'm glad that the teacher corrected it and would get it back and say, okay, all the problems that you did wrong, redo them so you learn how to do them right. We'd have to redo them and send them back in. I'm glad. Without the correction, I would have never gotten better. In fact, without the correction, it would have been a lie. been a lie. I would have had false confidence. In Hebrews 12, 26 and 27, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he says, I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens too. By this he means that he will shift out everything without a solid foundation so that only the unshakable things will be left. What he's saying is there are people that have a foundation that's not solid. They're putting their security in money. You can lose money. What happens then? I'm going to put my security in my boyfriend. What happens if he dumps you? Where's your security now? See, people put their security in a lot of things. They have not, they're not solid foundations. The only solid foundation you can put your security in is God. He's the only one. In Job 5.17, it says, Consider yourself fortunate when God, all-powerful, chooses to correct you. The fact that God's willing to correct me means he cares. He cares about you. You never learn how important money is until you've lost it. You never know how important a relationship is until that person's gone. You never know how important your health is until you've lost it. God is saying to you, recognize how important those things are now before they're gone. Then you make the best use of it. A third thing, God shakes things up to direct me. In Proverbs 16, 9, it says, a person may plan his own journey, but the Lord directs his steps. You're praying, God, I've got this company. I've got this great job that I have at this company. I'm making good money. I've got a savings account. I'm in a perfect condition right now to meet Mrs. Wright. And I've been wanting to get married. My dream is to get married and have kids. It's going to be the greatest thing. So God, I'm ready to get married now. And God says, yes, you're ready. You're finally ready. You're where where you need to be to get married. So I'm going to make you lose your job. And then you lose your job. You think, God, I, I finally got this. And now you're living off your savings and you can't find another job. And you're losing your savings. Wow. I, I'm looking everywhere. Can't find a job. And then, see what it is, is you were ready to get married. God just wanted you to marry someone that lives in Atlanta. And as long as you had security in that job, I was happy there, you would have never looked outside of Los Angeles because who in their right mind would look at Atlanta when you can have Los Angeles, right? <laughs> so you're not even willing to look. So what happens is 
you lose your job and then find there's a job opening in Atlanta. So out of desperation, because you don't know what else to do, you take it. And while you're in Atlanta, you go to, you find a church out there, you go there, and you're sitting there in church and you're thinking, wow, what was God doing? And then you look to the left and say, oh, she's kind of cute. <laughs> and then everything takes off from there. I'm telling you, it happens. People will say things like, you know, I lost my job. I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened. I ended up a job over here. That's where I met so-and-so. We got married. I love my new job. I'm married. We have three kids. It was a dream life that I always wanted. I just didn't know that she was in Atlanta. And the whole time, I was trying to do it my way. God will let you go through a problem in order to direct you in the place that you need to be so you can really have the life that you want to have. In Proverbs 20 30, it says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. We don't want to change if things are good. So when things get bad, then we look, now we're open. Psalms 119.59, I have thought about my life and I've directed my feet back to your written instructions. Sometimes it's to direct us back to God. Spiritually, we've gotten away. We don't spend time with him like we used to. Problems come. And through the, the problems that we're in, we start looking to God again. We start praying again. And it gets us back to God, to his written word, to what he has to say. God shakes things up to protect me. Sometimes it could be a situation where if you got that job, there's a person there, and you used to have a drinking problem, and it's the perfect type of person that you connect with, and they're the type of person that's going to coax you right back into that old life. But you don't know that. But you, all you know is, on paper, that's the perfect job for me. And you went and checked out the business, and it, this would be perfect for me, but they picked somebody else. And you walk away saying, God... If you're looking out for my best, how did that happen? God, I don't see you weren't looking out for my best, and you just don't know. He's protecting you, and he's going to work it out where you get to where you need to be, but you can't see it. Job th uh, Job 36, 16 says, God has led you away from danger, giving you freedom. Sometimes he's just leading you away from danger. Joseph had this dream from God that he's going to be a great leader, and he believed God. Then his brothers turned around and sell him as a slave. He's saying, God, what happened to this dream of me being a great leader? He gets accused of rape, and he's thrown in prison, but he was innocent. Now he's in prison. God, what are you doing? While he's in prison, he meets the right person at the right time who ends up through a series of events, getting him in contact with Pharaoh for some problems that they were having. He had the solution and he ends up becoming a great leader for Pharaoh. He actually rises to become second in command of all of Egypt. But there's no way he could see that. Like, God, if you told me I'm going to be a great leader, why am I a slave? And now why am I in prison? To get you to where you need to be. God allowed that to happen that way to get him to where he needed to be. Here's what he says to his brothers who sold him as slaves. You intended this to harm me, but God intended it for good. What you were doing for evil, God was using for the good. I'm telling you, there's some people out in this world that want to put evil on you. They want to do you wrong. I'm telling you that God will use it for the good. Then God shakes up things to perfect me. Sometimes there's a character issue that you have, and you just need it to be perfected. 
And it's during those hard times that you do it. Like, you don't have compassion for the poor, but you do when you're going through the hard times. My compassion for the poor developed not when I was at the wealthiest point in my life. My compassion for the poor developed when I didn't have enough money to eat. And me and my sister were thinking, like, what can we do to survive? And we both out of work. And how are we going to pay for rent? That gave me compassion for the poor. What gave me compassion for the poor is being on mission trips and going to these places of poverty and seeing how they're living and trying to help them. And firsthand experience. That gave me compassion for the poor. But you don't get compassion for the poor being separated from pain. It's being in the middle of it that you understand you care. Some of the best people I've seen that care for cancer victims, I said, man, you show so much care for them. And they say, because I used to have cancer. I said, oh, I didn't know. But it changed everything. They get it. They get it. Maybe I could try to give care for a cancer victim. I've never had cancer. Maybe I can try and try, but probably they would always do it better because no one would have that compassion as deeply as they do because they had it themselves. You know, so sometimes out of that pain, God uses that to make you a better person. You would never even care about them otherwise. First Peter, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who calls you to share his eternal glory and union with Christ will himself perfect you and give you firmness, strength, and a sure foundation. He wants to perfect you. What do you do with all these things, that, with the hard times that God allows you to go through so he can correct your life and make you a better person? In Romans, it says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials if we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient, and patience develops the strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it. Ultimately, we can rejoice and thank God. Thank God. I went through this tough time. Thank God that he used it to make me a better person. You always get better or bitter. You can't do anything to change the problems you're going to go into. But it's your choice whether you get better or bitter. Number three, I'll close up fast. Trust God for what I don't understand. These disciples, they didn't understand they couldn't understand it. Like, how could he die? They couldn't get it. And sometimes you're going to sit there and you're going to think, I'm going through a hard time, but I don't see any inspection. I don't see any correction behind this. I don't see any direction behind this. I don't even see protection behind this or perfection behind this. God, I don't see any of those benefits. Why am I going through this? And the answer is, Sometimes you don't see it. You just have to trust God and believe that Easter's coming. There's a resurrection around the corner. I've just got to trust God and believe. Proverbs 12, 20, 24 says, Since the Lord is directing our steps, why try to understand everything that happens along the way? If you believe that God's directing your steps, why do you have to understand it? Me understanding God would be like an ant trying to understand the internet. It's just not going to happen. Who am I to think I can understand God? I used to have this friend from AA. He said, they always taught us to believe in a God of our own understanding. 
But if I could understand God, he wouldn't be God. Because he knew that God was so beyond him, there's no way to understand him. So I believe in a God that I don't understand. Because how can you understand God? He's way beyond us. If you understand God, your view of God is very low. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Honor the Lord in everything you do, and he will give you success. Circle success. That's what God's trying to do. He wants to give you success. And if it takes problems to get you there, he'll do it. God's not beyond using problems to bring you success, to make you a better dad, a better mom, make you a, you know, a better husband or wife, to make you a better CEO or better worker at a place. God's not against using problems to get you there. That's how much he loves you. He will use what it takes. I can remember being a child, and I was throwing rocks at a neighbor kid, and my dad saw it, and when I went in, he got a paddle, and he went, pow, pow, pow. I remember it still today, and it hurt. <laughs> and you know what? Do you think I've ever thrown rocks at kids ever, ever since that time? Never. I've never done it again. I never. You know what? It took a little pain to open my eyes. I never did it again. But I can guarantee you, I, I know without a doubt, because I know my nature, if my dad had never seen me, it would have probably happened a second time, maybe a third time. I don't know how long it would have happened. But it just happened that one time. I'm telling you, pain wakes you up. God loves you that much. My dad loved me so much that he didn't ever want me to throw a rock at a kid ever again. He just saw a kid's eye being poked out or whatever. You know, it really hurt. He just knew it was bad. And he put it into that, and it worked. But he used pain as a motivation. I'm not here to say, you know, the people that think that giving swats is bad or good. I'm not here to preach on that. I'm here to say, pain worked on me. And it was the pain that got me to change my ways. God will use pain to change your ways if that's what it takes to make you a better person. And I'm better because of it. Let's pray. Dear God, we want to trust you with all of our heart. We want to depend on you and not our own understanding. We want to honor you with what we do in our life. And when these problems come, we want to trust you because we know that problems come. We want to stand unshakable. And Lord, we want to learn from our problems. Maybe there's something that's happening that you're trying to inspect us so that we can see ourselves more clearly and make changes. Lord, maybe there's a problem in my life because you're trying to correct me. I want to listen to that correction. Lord, maybe this problem in my life is here to direct me in a different direction. I want to listen for that and look for that. Lord, maybe I just have to trust that you are protecting me. Maybe I'll never know what from, but I need to trust you. God, you're sometimes allow this pain, this difficulty in my life to perfect me, to make me a better person. Lord, help me to see what you're doing. But even when I can't see it, I want to stand unshakable because I know that Easter is coming. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.